Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. It's Friday, October 7th, and I am Michael Vandervoort, and I'm here with Robin Schooling. Robin, we're we're doing a live episode of Drive Through on Blog Talk Radio, and it worked. So I'm ecstatic. How are you? I am also ecstatic, and uh, I'm so glad that we that we scheduled a visit t- together to the drive through once because it just seems like it's been forever. Because uh, I've been crazy busy, you've been crazy busy. We lived through hurricanes. So good to be back. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the I think actually I don't know when the last time we did a show was. I know I was very uh very blessed and privileged to use the, I'll use big fancy words to to get to hang out with you in June for the first time in a while and see you in person uh, yeah. when we didn't attend Sherm but hung out in in New Orleans around the Sherm event with with yep. you and I and a, a a bunch of other friends that was pretty cool I enjoyed that a lot but I, that it feels like that's the last time I talked to you but I'm not <laughs> sure that's true and I think my neighbor's firing up a weed whacker let me go find a better spot keep going <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah it's um I, I feel like we've done something since then but uh but maybe not and that's like three months ago already yeah uh, no kidding. We may have done a live show with some of our hosts, John and Chris Bull and Dwayne. We may have done a yeah. live show since then. That's what yeah. I was thinking. But anyway, it's been a while, and I haven't been good at all because of being so busy with other stuff about scheduling guests, um, you know, guests for our show that aren't you and I or me doing some shows that I've been doing with, with John Hyman. So I did yep. wanted to chat with you. There's some topics that I wanted to chat about. I know you had a couple, and I had a couple. So this isn't really a host show, but it's just going to be you and I in a discussion for 30 minutes or so. So why don't you go ahead and tee us up? You had an interesting thing you wanted to talk about. Yeah, and, um, uh, you know, I referenced to you an article that I read the other week, um, which I think is even more timely to talk about today, <clears throat> because uh, today is the day that the most recent jobs report came out. Um and, you know, kind of keeping an eye on that every month is, you know, everyone's favorite pastime. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, it's just we're in such an interesting moment here um, when we look at this intersection of, of jobs and the labor market. We're looking at, um, you know, recession. We're looking at inflation. We're looking at the housing markets, you know. Um, perhaps course correcting, perhaps not, and and just the interplay of all these things and how it impacts us, um, you know, working working in HR or adjacent to HR uh, is just is always fascinating. But we're really at this such a such a moment right now with all these forces forces coming together. So I don't know if you saw the jobs report yet, but um, you know <laughs> it was positive in that. Um, and and kind of on par with a lot of the projections in that the U.S. So of course this is the U.S. jobs jobs report, but uh, added over 260,000 jobs in the month. Um, and then you know you kind of play that with 
you know, we like to see that, right? Um, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a bad, not a bad number, right? I mean, right. You know, and 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 yeah. And, and typically, the, um, you know, um, um, uh, you know, job job growth, a, a strong labor market. Um, you know, we like that sign of economic strength, but we're we're balancing that right now with, um, the market and investors, and. And the investors don't quite like this strong labor market as much right. um, because they're looking at, oh, my gosh, you know. So uh, that's part of what's driving inflation in that, well, wages are increasing or have increased, so costs are increasing, so it's screwing with the market. And, you know, so it's, um, it's throwing all these things into the pot and thinking about mm-hmm. them together. Um and yet, and the at the same time, oh, and yet at the same time, the labor, the, you know, this report also pointed out, um, you know, labor market participation um, is still kind of about where it was here over the last couple of months. That um, so we're still faced with those companies that are hiring. You know, there there are still a lot of job openings and not enough workers to fill them. Right. The last number I saw said there's still like two openings for every one job. Yeah. But, you know, but, but it's almost as if that we've been hearing that for like, feels like 20 years. I mean, it's, you know, 18 months or so we've been, we've been hearing that, you know, and yet, and yet you also hear these kind of weird reports. They strike me as weird anyway, of, you know, companies that are, that have jobs posted, but aren't hiring people. And, you know, they're fake and they're doing it. And I'm like, what company yeah. would post fake jobs? Why the hell would they do that? Just, I mean, I, I guess there could be a reason you're trying to make sure you're, you know, re- doing outreach, building pipelines or something, but it just seems weird. But no, I think, I think we're, I think the, I think that we're like in this blender or whirlpool or something where all these forces are at work, you know, the, the Fed is is raising rates, right? So they're, they're you know, yeah. and to, to combat inflation, and when they raise rates, the cost of mortgages goes up, and people then the housing market cools off, and yep. you know, wealth dry. I, I mean, there's there's like you can't leverage one thing without affecting all all the other dominoes, right? That's, exactly. I guess that I mean that's the very macroeconomic kind of thing, and I I am by no means qualified to speak on this, but. I do it like I live in Florida where I where I think housing prices, you know, and, and it's not universal across the state because just like any other place we have, you know, Miami and Orlando and Tampa and, you know, that Jacksonville and every one of them has different sort of home costs. But it, just yeah. in general, I think the I think the home costs or price of a home state of Florida last year, is, I think I read somewhere where it's gone up like 33 percent. I moved back yeah. here in 2020 and it was still pretty affordable. And, you know, at one point I was thinking about, well, maybe I'll live where I'm at now for a couple of years and then try to buy something over in Tampa, which is where I really would like to live other than I have to commute a lot, a lot further. Uh-huh, but now uh-huh. with the price of gas and then the, and the, the, the vast number of people who have moved into Florida, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm probably priced out, priced out of that market for what I'd like to spend, not necessarily what I yeah. can afford, but what I would like to spend. Right. And then the yeah. other thing I saw is a, a report here just last week where Florida has always, a lot of its economy has been based on or as you know being a place for retirement right or uh-huh. low cost retirement paradise and you know there's like i live in a 55 plus community here in, in lakeland and there's hundreds of these things all across the state of florida and they started this, yeah. you know they started those in the 80s you know cheap housing you know communal living 
get a pool, pay any HOA fee, you know, they take care of your lawn. I mean, it's, it's pretty good, actually. You know, yep. it still is pretty good. But, but you know, people, you know, you know, they can't the, – the price of the rent for the lot, because you don't own – you don't own it outright. It's not going in a home, right? You you own the house, but you don't own the land, so you got to rent it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and it's going up so fast now that it's beginning to price people out. And part of the blame is just inflation, but another part is the freedom of the work from home, remote work era, which is letting right. people flood down here who couldn't get here before right. because they were tied to some other market, right? So we're seeing and we're seeing right. that. I know Boise and other bunch of Phoenix, a bunch of other cities and states are seeing the same thing. And then you've got like the HR, not HR tech, but you've got the tech world, Silicon Valley, going through what seems to be a semi-invisible, but pretty, pretty serious uh, slowdown, right? Like across the board, there's a lot of layoffs that, because that's the other topic we were going to kind of verge. And I think they merge here is like, I know you, I've seen, and I know you probably know more than I do because you're, you, you swim in that world more than I do. There's a lot of uh, recruiters on the tech side yes. who've lost yes. their jobs in the last year, six months to a yeah. year, um, yeah. and they're struggling to find something else in the same space, right? So, uh, like, I don't know how you fix all that. Definitely yeah. is interesting times for sure. Yeah. Well, and one of the um, the other interesting article that came out last week that <clears throat> that I read was um, a study. Um, some research that was done um, by the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, and they mm-hmm. they released this last week, and it was kind of getting at that point. And of course, the headlines of various iterations of this article were kind of clickbait in themselves. But the gist of of their study, what they released, was that um, <clears throat> they were drawing a uh, drawing a line from the increase demand uh, uh, for working from home. Um, They're saying that that increased demand of people wanting to work from home accounted for 60% 60 of the price hikes in housing between just before the pandemic and uh, and this past November. So for this two-year period, they're saying, you know, when we're in the throes of the pandemic, as that housing prices were rising, and and one of the key factors, up to 60% of those factors, was because of people wanting to work from home. So it was folks, you know, that lived in, pick a big city, right, New York City, San Francisco, whatever, and decide to move to Florida or decide to move to, you know, Boise, Idaho, or whatever for quality of life. And so that demand um, for for, you know, the workers like I can work live anywhere, but right. that's pricing up the housing markets in these areas and and making housing unaffordable for perhaps people that have already been living there, or you know don't perhaps have the luxury of of uh, buying housing at at this or paying rent at these new extravagant prices. Yeah, so, and and like. I, I mean, is, is that an? I mean, is that an H? I was thinking about this when you sent me this topic. This is one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I, I don't think there's an answer really. But is this an HR issue, or is this a societal change? You know, kind of work. I mean, yeah. obviously there's HR implications, but but is it is yeah. this something that HR people need to be thinking about? 
from that macro perspective, or is it just like we just need to manage our own companies? That's what I was kind of going, I guess, yeah, yesterday yeah. when I was thinking about this. I mean, I, I, I think like any sort of, you know, our, uh, you know, in HR, we should always be kind of doing those environmental scans and know what's going on. And so it is having this understanding of these economic factors and, and how they may be impacting your particular company, you know, the business of your company, right? What's right. happening if you're, let's say, a, a consumer goods producer or whatever. Um, but also, yeah, how are they impacting your employees? How are they impacting the decisions that you make as an employer in terms of work from home and is it good, is it bad? Do we have this, uh, uh, you know, a work environment where people can live in any pick a state? Um, mm. You know, do we, does, does Sally in HR you know, insert herself into, you know, housing discussions? Probably not. But it's kind of being aware of it and, you know, kind of extending that out, um, which becomes the how do we attract, retain talent to our organization. Um, I think it's kind of this continuation of, look, if we're going to be a work-from-anywhere organization, do we truly mean it? Um, Right. And, and, you know, that, may, that it is okay if an employee wants to live in a fairly remote area of, you know, Colorado, um, because maybe that's what the, what the employee, that's where the housing is that they feel they can afford, you know? Yeah. Because, um, you know, I think pre-pandemic, you know, when I think about um, certain organizations, and this is fairly common and probably still is, um, where, okay, we're, we're a company, you know, Acme Corporation, and we, um, we've got five offices around the U.S., and you can work out of any one of them, but you have to be within 30, 60, within commuting distance to one of those offices. That mm-hmm. was a fairly common mm-hmm. kind of deal, right? So I had a right. friend here that here in Baton Rouge, and she – took a job with a, a company that operated that way. And so she had like, you know, four or five cities she could choose to move to, but she had to move to one of them mm-hmm. because at that and, time, and, but she could, and, it was. Yeah. But you could also could work, work, work remotely. At, yeah. But yeah. you had access to like physical facilities if there were meetings or yeah. that they needed you to join or whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. we're shifting away from housing. I, I was going to come back and say, I do think that like the cost of housing can become an HR issue because like in the service economy that you and I have worked both, yeah. you know, I work in it now, service sector, and yeah. you've worked, certainly worked in it in the past. Yeah. Like in Florida where I live, um, Key West, you know, Fort Myers, which is now devastated with the hurricane, unfortunately, the yeah. pan, you know, certain areas in the panhandle, those have become super busy labor markets, you know, from a, Yep. We need a lot of extra help during the, the snowbird season, which runs from, you know, yeah. starting kind of like next month here in Florida through the through the end of March or April, right? Like our stores can double in sales, so that means our staff needs to double in size, but we only need them for like yeah. five, six months out of the year. Yeah. Um, and we don't hire and fire. We we try to contract and loan people around because I guess we get enough turnover in retail. But, but we've also had to do things like hire, you know, in years past, 
uh, European students who were over here on, yeah. you know, on a work visas where they could come work for the summer in sort of an internship capacity. I mean, who goes yeah. to Romania to hire grocery workers in Destin, Florida? Publix did that for a couple yeah. of years because yeah. it was the only yeah. place we could get people to work, right? So, you know, and but the problem is with all that, so there's a demand problem, you know, where you don't have enough uh, workers in the in the market price that you need. But they also, even if they even if they come there, they, they can't really afford to live in the area, so then exactly. they either have to be put up by the company or they have to be commuted in from far away. And yeah, you know, so your labor market, th- these kind of changes can screw with your labor market. I do, I don't think it's universal, you know, except for in Florida, maybe where the house, how the price of housing is just going up across the state. Yeah. But I don't think it, you know, it impacts some industries more than others, and probably it impacts certain sec- sections of the labor pool more than yeah. others, but it, it, I definitely think it could be an HR issue. I just don't know how you impact it. You know, you have to yeah. be very creative in your policies and stuff, you know, kind of like what you were talking about. Um, I, I want to pivot back to what you were talking about, though, for a minute, that whole idea of remote, because that is one of the challenges for employers beyond, you know, morale and how do you communicate and how do you manage people remotely if you're 100% remote, is like how do you manage the complexities of somebody who was hired in, let's just say Baton Rouge, because that's where you live, Somebody's hired yep. in Louisiana, and they decide they want to move to Nevada, and you don't have yeah. any other employees in Nevada. Yeah. Uh, you know, as an employer, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a choice, right? Because you've got to like yeah. probably set up. You know, you've got to pay Nevada yeah. state taxes, assuming they have any. It's you've got to you know, pay on employees. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and if, and if you have fifty people and, and you got one of them in each state of the United States, you suddenly got an extremely complex organization from yeah. a payroll and a and a, and a policies, just simply uh, administrative policy. Yeah, following yep. the laws of the, and, yep. and, and you know, so like, it, it sounds great in concept, you know. And I mean, as a as an employee, you know, the flexibility. I love the idea of that, right? If you can achieve it, but on the other hand, it does come with a lot of costs, you know, both tangible yeah. and intangible for employers. Yeah. So I can see why they you know, are ready to embrace it wholeheartedly unless you're a certain kind of organization, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, we, um, um, go ahead. I, I have, I have done that. And, and we, um, you know, when, when we were still paired as group prior to our joining, joining Cielo, um, you know, so we, we had employees in, uh, at any given time, anywhere from 15 to 18 states. Um, and there might wow. be one person. Um, yeah. But if it was the right candidate and um, they brought the skills that we needed and whatever, well, we we added that state. <laughs> and uh, and we, you know, maybe had one employee in a in a given state. But yes, the complexity of of setting up the accounts and getting all your you know, unemployment and workers' comp and your taxes and, you know, everything set up, making sure you're following whatever the labor laws are there. Of course, as we know, every state is different um, mm-hmm. with various assorted things. Um, some states, you can only purchase workers' comp coverage, for example, through the state, um, as opposed to having your own policy. Um, you know, some states, of course, have mandated leave. Some do not. Some have paid leave. Some do not. You know, so managing... Managing a multi-state workforce, if you're a large enterprise, you've either probably been doing it already or it's not that big of a lift. Small, mid-sized mm-hmm. businesses that I think discovered that that uh, shift to that during the pandemic and now are still dealing with it, that's where the company really needs to decide what 
ahead of time, I think, right? Where, you know, what do we, how do we operate? Can you live in any U.S. state or not? Um, Mm -hmm. Or are there 10, 12, 15, whatever states, and we'll employ people that live there, but if you move out of that state to a state we don't have employees in, you know, uh, we don't employ people there, you know? Yeah, and then and then you have the other question, which is a smaller subset of that, which is there are, there are people who have moved internationally or want to work internationally right, right. for six months or right. something. And, you know, what do you do? I mean, how do you deal with that, right? Because you if you're a U.S. citizen and traveling abroad, even if you're working only part-time, if you have earnings right. in the country, you have to pay – I mean, you have yep. to pay taxes there. You have to have, potentially have to have a visa there, but you also have to pay taxes back here. Yep. And to ask the employer to be sort of the clearing hub of that – in a lot yeah. of ways is, is, you know, at some point, I just don't think, I, I guess what I'm seeing there is I just don't think employees understand the nuances behind the scenes of that kind of request. Right. Not that they, they shouldn't don't. make it, right? I mean, if, yeah, they don't, they just don't get it. And, and, but I think then, you know, people think, well, why is this employer so unfair? How hard can it be? Uh-huh. And it, it's not insurmountable, but it's complicated and it's costly. Yeah. And you have to, you know, you have to determine as an organization, to your point, you have to determine as an organization is it worth it for the talent that they're bringing back, right? I think it becomes right. a, a kind of an individual decision rather than a company, you know, like a, a universal proclamation by the company, unless they just decided, yeah, we just want to let our people work everywhere because that's our value and that's the quality of life we yep. want to provide to our yep. workforce. And it becomes like a retention and recruiting strategy. I, I mean, I could see that, you know, but you've then bought into the idea that, yeah, we're willing to bear the cost of all this other administra- right. administrative stuff, right? So, and that right. may be what you guys did at Paradise. That may be exactly what yeah. you were saying. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's personally valid. It's just difficult, and I can understand why a lot of employers are reluctant to do it. Um, mm-hmm. You want to talk about HR tech for a minute? You, were, you were, I've never been. I've never been to the show. At I know. All. I can't yeah. believe you've never been there. I'm um, going to try to go uh, next year. But anyway, so it was, this was kind of like the big comeback, right, from the pandemic it, and everything. And I heard yeah. it was. I mean, they had ran one year ago or so, I think. But this was like the first time it was on like you know the olden yeah. days and i heard it was a, a, an amazing show and record setting crowds and all kinds of stuff so tell yeah. us a little bit about it it um it was uh, you know let me tell you it was great to be back <laughs> and you yeah. know, i've been at a couple of smaller events here this year um i when i say small i'm talking you know a couple thousand people as opposed to, you know, probably close to 10,000 with, yeah, with all the yeah. exhibitors and everything. Um, but this felt, um, yes, it felt, you know, we're back, right? Um, it is such a good show. And, and uh, you know, I was reminded yet again when I was there this year uh, why I've always liked it and kind of why I've talked about it so much is it is because I think many, many HR practitioners – think it's not for them because they they see the tech in the name and oh well I you know I'm a recruiter or I work in benefits or I, whatever and they think well that's mm-hmm. really not my jam I'm not going to go but it's yes it's about the technology and you know what's what's uh, currently out there what's being developed what's being worked on um, how this work technology can help us as HR practitioners that's always obviously the a key, uh, key element of the show, but it, it's so much more than than just technology because the mm-hmm. breakout sessions and, and the content um, is very 
or I think it's good for HR practitioners. Things are very solution oriented, but because we're talking about a solution to come in and help us do our work. So the content, when you go to the sessions and you have conversations with people, it's very much the here was a problem we had. Here's this work problem we had, and here's how we solved it. And the solving is really, it, it's based on strategy and thinking something through, but it's enabled, and the solution comes because uh, the problem resolution is enabled by the technology that exists. So there's mm-hmm. so many learning opportunities for people who think they're not techies to go in and, and make their HR function better. Um, I think some of the key uh, kind of conversational topics and buzzwords, if you will, but kind of like the hot hot button issues, lots of talk about um, skills um, mm-hmm. and a little bit different from reskilling, upskilling, you know, that we've, uh, that's embedded in there, but a little bit different from just talking about that, which we've been doing for a while. And this was, it's much more now about how, how are we hiring how are we thinking about skills? How are we tracking, for example, our existing workforce and what their kind of their their skill sets are? And then how do we how do we leverage what they currently have? How do we develop them um, into a different way? How do we how do we reorganize how we do work within our organizations? And it's not so much well, people are on a team or they have a certain title. It's much more about who do we have that works for us and their skill sets, and where can we use them, even if it's on a different team, on a different project, in a different part of the business. And so thinking about skills in the context of both hiring, retention, development, and then how to use for the betterment of the business. Kind of like a big a big talk. Um, and then another, you know, it's always kind of danced around the edges, um, but there were a lot of solutions um, focused on like wellness, well, well-being, okay. really, mm-hmm. wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, those, those things have been bubbling up for years, but I think the pandemic and um, really lit a fire under having those sorts of conversations. Um, yeah. What I, what I remember, like, you know, when I first started seeing tech and I mean, it's, it's been a while and I've never really been like a, I'm, uh, I, I was never somebody that worked on a lot of tech-driven projects in my my assignments, right? At labor relations, people yeah. often don't get involved in that. But, I mean, I, I had enough touches that I kind of know what it feels like, you know, and been through an SAP conversion or, you know, from Oracle to SAP or whatever. So, I mean, you obviously you have to do that sometime in a 30-year career, but I've never bit gone out and, you know, like sourced a, a, a software solution and, you know, dragged it through the implementation yeah. like a lot of people do. But w- yeah. when I've been involved with them, you know, what it seems like a lot, not at a conference per se, is that you get like, let us give you a demo, right? And then let us yeah. sell and, and it's kind of like, here's our wonderful solution. And then you say, oh, this looks really good. And you buy it. And then you find out that, you know, all the shit that they showed you, sorry <laughs> for the French there, all the stuff they showed you, I guess we can swear it's our show, but I, I didn't mean That's to. Right. Uh, you know, all the stuff they showed you looked good, but it's really hard to implement. Most of it doesn't work the way, work the way they told you. And, you know, it's kind of yeah. a, it becomes a, it just becomes a huge burden to try. So I think a lot of people that are like me that don't touch this stuff much, you know, tend to shy away from the conference for that reason. I don't, I don't mean to say a lot of people shy away from the conference, but I think there's a, maybe a, that's where that perception that you talked about, that the practitioners yeah. don't necessarily view that show as a, 
as a place to go. What you're yeah. saying, it sounds like to me, is it's a lot more about here's a case study, here's a client we worked with, here's the problem they yeah. had, here's how yeah. we, is how I went through. Yeah. Our, this is how our tool helped them do that. The practitioner probably yeah. says, oh, yeah, without, without this solution from UKG or whatever, we could have never – we could have never done this. And this was, you know, we got some yeah. really great benefits here and some unplanned, you know, uh, uh, some unplanned benefits that they didn't even tell us about, but we, we were able to do that. So yeah, that would, I, you know, I think that would resonate. Um, the other fear I always had, uh, it, you know, just as we do sometimes at Sherm is, you know, you, there's just so many vendors there. Is it, is yeah. it a pitch fest, right? Just trying to attract your business. So I was curious about how the vendor, the vendor hall was and how that feels. I know you've been a few times, but I just, for a, from yeah. a practitioner perspective, how does that work? It's, I mean, it's like any other event, right? Um, okay. Do do I, am I on uh, far more mailing lists now than I was on, you know, prior to the show? Of course, yep. absolutely. Yep. Um, I hadn't even taken off on the airplane on Friday from the show and had a whole mm. bunch of, you know, great to meet you because um, they scanned my badge, right? Uh, so, you. you know, like anything, thank you, like anything else, you kind of, you weed through it, right? And you, you, you know, it, it's their job to do the reach outs. That's, that's what, that's what they're there for. Yeah. So yeah, I don't hold sure. them responsible for doing it. Um, and the, and the folks that I do want to follow up with or take a look at something, you know, I'm going to do that. So, yeah. So, but you, you would overall, you would overall recommend that uh, somebody that doesn't really deal with tech on a regular basis could still get a lot of value oh, out of yeah. that conference. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I've heard, heard many people say that, and yet still, I haven't been able to figure out how to. I don't know. If, I guess that must be the timing, because like, uh, like that conference, you know, in, in a couple of years ago, that would have conflicted with my planning for Q, and I, I don't know, you know, right, this right. year I had a couple other. Like, I was supposed to go to Inspire HR last week, but I didn't, thanks to Ian. You know, I had the bail, um, and yep. then I'm going to Q, and then I've got something else coming up in November. So, I mean, I already have, like, three conferences on the schedule already. So, fitting another one in, and especially one that's in Vegas, which I hate. <laughs> it, it drops I know everybody loves it. I guess the first 48 hours aren't too bad when you're hanging with your friends, but after that, I burn out on Vegas really fast. So, oh, anyway, thanks for, the, thanks, thanks for the thanks for the summary, because I know we didn't kind of have that on the script, but I was yeah. thinking about it earlier in the day. So I, I, uh, I'm going to switch. I had a couple I wanted to talk about, and we're down to like 15 minutes because this is, mm-hmm. this is. I always love talking to you, but it it goes by fast. Um, I, you know, evergreen topic, right? But I happened to post a, a video from our friend Jason Lawrence, and this morning I posted it over on the Evil HR Lady uh, Facebook group, which is like 25,000 members strong, which is huge. And I'm a moderator yep. over there. We're one of six moderators, and I'm actually going to have the Evil HR Lady crew of moderators on the show for an episode next week. We did one about six months ago about yep, just about yep. the group. And we're going to do sort of a behind the scenes look at, at how we moderate, which is very, yeah. it's been very interesting um, because it takes a lot more energy and thought than you, than most people who want to post on a Facebook yep. group would think just like hiring somebody yep. in Montana when your company's in Pennsylvania. <laughs> might require, anyway, right. we're going to do a show there. I'll, I'll invite you. I didn't, I didn't ask you the time, but I'll, I'll, I'll invite you. And if you, if you can make it, please join us. But anyway, yep. the post this morning was, I just posted Jason's, uh, Jason thing, which is essentially a, a video five minutes long or so on getting rid of the dress code. He said he showed up in Vegas at a tech conference wearing his travel clothes, which was t-shirt and jeans or t-shirt okay. and shorts because it's hot. It was in the summer. 
And he said everybody at the conference was dressed in like business casual stuff. And he said, you know, <laughs> he knows the tech industry well enough to know they didn't work through a pandemic. And in fact, most of them don't go to the office dressed in business casual. <laughs> a lot of them wear shorts and t-shirts, right? So this caused him to come up with this whole thing about do you really need a dress code, which is, is a really evergreen topic. But I swear to God, on Evil HR Lady, every time we post something or every time somebody posts something about oh, a dress a code, yeah. it's a fight. It degrades into yeah. such, a, such a cat fight that we ultimately wind up having to close the, the chat comments down because people are just getting out of control, you know, yelling yeah. at each other, right, <laughs> about whether you should be allowed to require someone to wear a bra or not and would you ask a man to do that. You know, those, I mean, that's, that's a really tough. But anyway, I, so, this, so this morning – we haven't shut this one down yet. It's been surprisingly cordial, but I didn't mention bras when I put it up, so that might be the reason. I don't know. But you had jokingly <laughs> posted something the other day about uh, nipples, and yep. you know, so you you've dealt with dress codes. So let's just chat dress codes for a minute. Somebody asked on the on the chat or on on Evil HR Lady, were we going to talk about um, tattoos and piercings and stuff? I was like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. So so espouse your espouse your dress code philosophy. That's what I'm that's really where I want to go. What what's your dress code um, philosophy? Is? I I I for the most part align with Jason's take of abolish them. Um to the point where I, when I have had the power to write the dress code um or adjust the dress code, i.e. not working for corporate overlords, um, you know, or I was in charge, um Dress codes were very simple. My Paradis group dress code was like one sentence, dress professionally and safely for the job you're doing, to paraphrase. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was it. Um, mm-hmm. Now, granted, you know, uh, you know uh, and, and we just basically sort of live by that rule. You're professional. If you are in front of a client, we trust you know how to dress for those interactions. If you're out in public representing the company, we trust you know how to dress. Uh, but we're also not going to police it. So personally, that's my belief. Secondarily, I don't think HR should be – the other thing that drives me crazy is HR either being told they have to be the dress police or what I see more often than not is extraordinarily zealous HR folks that decide to be the dress code police. You know, Mm -hmm. that should be up to the manager of the person or persons here's these parameters, you know, whatever they may be, hopefully short, and that manager can have that discussion. Hey, Susie, you know, you're wearing flip-flops, and we just we don't like flip-flops, but have a reason for it. You know, we don't wear flip-flops in the office from a safety perspective or whatever, you know. Um, <laughs> I, I think dress codes, uh, I worked for an organization once, the first, first in-house HR job I had, and it was, it was banking, right? So it was a bank, very conservative. These were the days, you know, with suits and, like, the women, we had to wear nylons. It was, you know, a thousand years ago. Um, the dress code was so absurd and so ridiculous. It was down to the size of pockets allowed on the back of somebody's, you know, uh, back pockets on, on pants, on dress pants or whatever. I mean, it was yep, ridiculous. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> You know, nipples, 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 I posted that the other day because nipples have come up quite a lot. Um, yeah, well, when you work in career, casinos, they, they, I know, coming up, popping out, yeah, I know, yeah, it's, popping uh, up, you know, they happen. Um, and I think it's, um, you know, the, 
the thing is, and, and part of why I posted that is you sometimes you don't know why there's a nipple there, right? It might just be cold. Uh, it could right. be a woman's nipple, a man's nipple. I don't care whose nipple. It might just be cold. Um, somebody may not be wearing a bra, but you don't know why they're not wearing a bra. They might have medical reasons they can't wear a bra. They might, you know, nobody likes to wear bras. Let's face it. But you, you know, are we? Do we need to police somebody's undergarments? Good God, no. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it is it is such a hot button topic, and I think the one word that over time we're starting to educate more people on um, to really think about using this word because uh, folks in those discussions will often say, well, that's not professional or, but we have, we want to maintain a professional environment. The word professional is meaningless and often rooted in still, let's face it, sort of this, you know, 1960s, you know, what did uh, people dress like, uh, you know, in, in the band? White shirt, tie, black, blue pants, yeah. jacket. Yeah, yeah, IBM yeah. look from the 60s. Yeah. yeah. White male, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, and, and you yeah see no doubt. assigned to hairstyles and the tattoos and everything. You know, it's just, yeah. it's not, uh, I, we just need to banish that word. I think. I think that uh, I think that quite a few people on the post that I put up this morning. I mean, it, we didn't have thousands of comments or anything, but there was a fairly good discussion with two sides. You know, one was, yeah, dr- drop them. You know, you don't need it. Just manage the individuals that get out of line, yeah. and let everybody yeah. else manage themselves like adults, which they should be. Yep. There, there was a, an equally loud voice, I would say, that without being dramatic and his, hysterical, like they often get in those conversations, said, "No, we need to have some guidelines." And one one lady posted uh, you love you love you know the betty and Susie and all that stuff names for hr ladies and whatnot this was this was the funniest thing i saw on facebook this week she said nobody wants to be dealing with booty butt betty or tight tight, tight testicles ted wearing their their hot pants, you know short shorts <laughs> like yeah i agree with that i don't want to deal with that either right but uh so i thought that was pretty funny so the idea that you would have you know like you said you had dressed professionally for your your situation you know, that makes sense to me. Um, and then if yeah. somebody does something that isn't considered that, which isn't discriminatory or whatever, then coach them on it, right? That seems, yeah. that seems to be to be my, you know, minimize the, the rules, minimize the measuring, the length of the garment, you know, how far, you know, that gets yeah. so crazy. And, and who, who enforces yeah. that stuff anyway, really, and consistently, yeah. you know? I mean, I think it's there's, different. There's I mean, I think if you're if you're in a situation like like where like where I work, we have you know we have customers, so we have uniform requirements. You know, I think that yeah. it makes sense to have you know there. I mean, that way people know who works in the bakery and who works in the exactly. customer service area, or whatever. Disney, yep. you know, whatever. There there are certain industries, and then there are safety concerns. Obviously, healthcare. You know, the 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 scrubs makes sense. So I mean, definitely some industries and some professions probably require a more detailed dress code. I think overall, um, you know, clothes should just be, you know, be able to be worn and be comfortable and you shouldn't have to worry about it too much. You should get into things like, you know, bad messaging, naked ladies, naked men, whatever, then those, yeah. that becomes coaching situations. Um, and then I want to touch on the, the I, I don't care about tattoos and piercings. I mean, I, you know, I know some people find them offensive. I know some people think they're yeah. weird. Some are super extreme. It, it, but I think it goes back to the same question about how do you decide to let somebody live in another state if that's the only employee you have in the state? How big of a talent are they? How much do they bring to your organization? Do you care if they wear ear gauges? If they're your fastest, you know, uh, 
picker in a in a warehouse? Yeah. Do you really care? Or yeah. you know, are they your best salesperson? But oh, they wear false eyelashes to work every day, and it's a dude. Yeah. Maybe you care, maybe you don't. You know, I mean, it's yeah. just um, you know, it's a judgment call, and I you know, I guess I, I wish we could be more kind of open about it, but we we want to put people in buckets and stuff, right? Um, yeah. So I don't know if that I don't know if that helps. Uh, the the lady that told us she was, told me she was going to listen to this episode. <laughs> well, she was driving somewhere today, but I wanted to touch on it for you if you're listening. Well, I'm not naming names. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, my my one of my favorite tattoo stories is um, not that many years ago, <clears throat> and I was doing a little consulting project with a local um, religious organization, um, a fairly conservative religious organization, church, school fairly large school, and uh, they brought me in to just kind of help their HR team revamp some policies and to bring in some sort of new ways of thinking, right? And one of the one of the areas we tackled was their dress code policy because they had one, again, fairly conservative, and <clears throat> they were faced with, and they had a student policy for their students at the school, and then they had the employee policy for the students of both the church and the school. And they were relooking at the student policy because um, th- that policy even said parents of the students could not have tattoos. Mm. That's how conservative they were. Um, <laughs> and so they were, re- they were re- really, you know, kind of getting with the times on that. And they wanted to look at their employee policy. And I gave them a lot of credit because they were very uncomfortable with this. They kind of went against yeah. everything. They were getting applicants to be teachers you know, 22, 25 mm-hmm. years old, you know, new entrants into the workforce who were coming in with tattoos. And they didn't want to, they realized we don't really want to lose these people. Everything else matched up. They were believers in the faith. You know, they were religious organizations, so they kind of do the faith doctrine and all this. But they said, you know what, it's, we may have been holding on to this for 50 years, but times have changed and we want to take a, re- yep. a, a look at it. And it was just, I was, I was amazed I, I, and, and proudly amazed that they were just even willing to have that conversation. It was very, it was hard yeah. for them. Yeah. In the same thread this morning, somebody, I forget exactly what she said. Why do we have to continue to devolve society or devolve propriety or something like that? Like, you know, like, in other words, she was pretty pro dress code, this particular person, right? That of course, there yeah. should be a professional attire, that kind of, which, is, you know, I mean, there's a place for that thought, right? But I don't know that allowing people to wear jeans to work versus dockers or, you know, uh, slacks instead of skirts or whatever, I don't yeah. know that that devolves society or devolves propriety or whatever, yeah. whichever one she said. It, that, that's, that starts to, to me to sound like that's where you're, you know, you're you're holding on to the old and not really enough about the new. Even though yeah. maybe athleisure clothes might not suit every business, right? We have we have right. two minutes left, so we're we're not getting the shenanigans unless you want to just touch <laughs> on it real quick. Um, sure. Well, I want I want to just touch on it real quick. I, I made an off the wall point a couple of weeks ago on social yep. media. I received my ballot to vote for the Sherm uh, Board of Directors candidates for this year because I'm still a member despite my. Um, not super satisfaction with the organization, but I, I remain a member. Um, and I noted with interest just the conversation that only two of the five candidates that were presented, 
to be on the board had HR experience. The other three came from different industries. One was an accountant, one was with the ABA or something. And I was like, that's, and my first reaction was, how can that be possible? And then I, then I realized, yeah, they need diversity from other industries and other yeah. perspectives. I was just curious what your take, because we did, you and I chatted about it a little bit. I was just curious if you want to wrap up with what your take was there. Yeah, you know, a, a large part of me doesn't have a problem with it. Um, because you look at any any board of directors I've ever been in, involved in, um, it, it, we have uh, always had rep- it was kind of like this mindset of okay, we need somebody who's got a finance background. They're a C- CFO somewhere. Let's put them on the board. We've got somebody who's a a marketing and PR kind of whiz. Uh, that that should be somebody sitting on our board. You know, so you want this diverse skill set um, so that they become advisors to the rest of the board, to the, to the, you know, in this case, Johnny, um, mm-hmm. and to the business. So I, I really don't have a problem with it. Um, I don't even remember, because I haven't been a show member for a handful of years here now. Um, I mean, how many seats are on the board in the first place? Nine, maybe? Um, I think that yeah, they should probably aim for... 10 or 11, but I don't for, really know for sure. <laughs> they should probably aim for overall... 50% of the seats are mm-hmm. HR people. If, if they yeah, get that 50% I, amount, I, I feel good. Yeah, I don't disagree. I, and I, like I said, when I posted it, I just thought it was interesting. For a minute, I, I kind of went, that doesn't make sense. How can they have people who don't understand HR? But they're business people, and they do. And HR yeah. people are on boards where they're not, you know, the, they don't make widgets or whatever so i didn't think of it It, as i ultimately thought about it i didn't think it was a big deal but it it was funny how it hit me when i first saw it i was like yeah typical shirt you know kind of thing yeah and and, (laughs) but anyway it was so well we're out of time we're we've run over and we're in bonus time so um this was great to get a chance to catch up with you i uh i will uh wrap up here in a minute but do you have any closing thoughts no, I. Uh, it's great to be back on the drive-through, and as we say all the time, Michael, we'll we'll get back on a on a on a consistent schedule one of these days. Um, <laughs> Twenty 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 three is coming soon. There we go. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm with you. All right, and, and 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 just sort of have these, I like these wide ranging discussions. We touched on a lot of stuff. Yeah, I do too. It was good to catch up with you, Robin, and I will, uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Take care, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Have a great week. Bye.